All right, say with me, Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus, we ask that we receive insight and revelation into your words. Our questions are answered, doubts are dissolved, needs are met by the power of the Holy Ghost. No stone is left unturned. The power of confusion is dispelled. The burden of ignorance is lifted. And there is so much clarity in the atmosphere. Massive influence of the Holy Ghost. And let the church say, Amen. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Okay, you can welcome a neighbor to your left, to your right, for another meeting. The eternal salvation lawsuit. And this is the second hearing, the day two. Glory to God. Okay. Can you just sing with me? You make my life so beautiful. And as you are, you have made me here on earth. There's nothing greater than this. There's nothing greater than this. And that's why I love you forevermore. You make my life so beautiful, everybody. You made my life so beautiful. And as you are, and as you are, you have made me heaven earth. There's nothing greater than this. There's nothing greater than this. That's why I love. That's why I love you forevermore, forevermore. I want more of you. I want more of you. Everybody, I want. I want more of you, Jesus. The more I know you. The more I want to know, the more I want to know you, Jesus, more. Now, I've explained before, um, you know, that God has given us everything in salvation. Okay, we have all of Him. Okay, but it, and this song is in context. When it says more of Him, you see, you see that it ends by saying what more of the knowledge of Him. Okay, so it's not talking about more of, of uh, maybe um, uh, a salvation benefit. We're talking about uh, knowledge of what we have received, of, of more of knowledge of who God is, of God who he is to us today. I want more of you. Oh, I want more of Jesus. Jesus, the more I know you, the more I want to know you, Jesus. Jesus, Hallelujah. All right, so um, the eternal salvation lawsuit, glory to God. And we started, we had the first year in last week. Um, okay, um, before I do a very brief recap of that, can we turn our Bibles to uh, point our texts? Um, Proverbs 13, very fast. Proverbs 13, um, yes, Proverbs 18, sorry. Proverbs 18, and please, we have to be very fast in our Bibles. We have a lot to cover today, and we have to give room for the plaintiff today, so we have to be very fast. 
All right, Proverbs 18. Are we there, verse 13? All right, so I might be going at a speed of light at some point. So the only way you can catch up is if you're fast to your Bible. Verse 13 says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is fully and shame to it. Or to him, sorry. And I explained that, um, that what it is always wise. It is wisdom to hear both sides. Okay, so don't be so quick to conclude on a matter without hearing both sides. Verse 17, are we there? It says, what the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Okay, I was talking about the NIV, New International Version, that says what the, in, in a lawsuit, the first to present his case, something like that, first to speak is what it seems right until what um, someone comes and cross-examines. Now, I gave the example of a debate. You know, someone just comes and gives points, you know, and you are like, wow, this is so valid and everything. Just to, only to wait for the opponent to come and begin to destroy all the points one by one. Like, what? Okay, so you see that what, um, there's always wisdom to hear both sides. All right, so um, that's that. So we remember the last week we were able to see together how that um, salvation is not something we worked for. It's not something we could ever work for because uh, all our efforts, okay, uh, always proved abortive. They were always um, futile. Okay, we saw that uh, on believing we received the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is here to stay. Okay, so that is a forever something, the relationship that knows no end. Okay, we got to see how that what we have a future, okay, a future salvation or a future redemption, which is talking about what the redemption of our bodies, the, our future resurrection, okay, in which would our, these our corruptible bodies will um, give place for incorruptible bodies. And we saw that that's a certainty and not a probability. All right, we saw that together. We saw that we have a, an irrevocable union with God so that our salvation, the keeping of our salvation is predicated on the, um, on the strength of the Savior. That's why he's the, he's the Savior, okay? Uh, it, is, it is predicated on the faithfulness and ability of the Savior. So we see that it is God that keeps us. So just like we could not um, save ourselves by our works, we cannot preserve our salvation by our works. All right, um, all right, glory to God. All right, so it's time to take the legal oath. Can we hold our Bibles? Hold our Bibles, okay, on your chest. Place the other hand up. All right, I think we were able to come to a consensus last week that we all believe that the Bible does not contradict itself, right or right? All right, so I think we are good to go then. All right, so can we say with me, I believe in the Bible. I believe that the Bible does not contradict itself. I believe that the Bible is consistent, just as God is. Therefore, I solemnly pledge that I will not conclude on my thoughts and personal opinions, but I stand with whichever argument triumphs in the light of well-explained and well-corroborated Bible texts. So help me God. Amen. All right. So we, like I said last week, we all this, this, that's a, this is a pledge to sincerity. Okay. So it's not going to be predicated on no. This is what I have always heard while growing up, or this is what this person says. No. It's what is God's opinion. God's opinion has been documented for us. So that's what we are investigating together. Hallelujah. All right. So um, um and I, of course I presented my uh, as the defendant I presented um, some exhibits. 
okay, of my, okay, so uh, for my evidence, uh, piece of evidence, I told you to listen to the message, why doesn't what you ought to know, and um, the Bible and the believer, a practical approach to Bible study. All right, so I believe the plaintiff um, listening to that, so um, any stand has to, um, has to, uh, every uh, argument he gets to present must um, not be something that has been dealt with already by the exhibits presented. All right, so the, before the plaintiff presents his case or presents his um, pieces of evidence, it's um, the defendant would like to um, buttress his arguments, okay, like, like we had last week to continue from there. So Ephesians chapter 1. All right, just like I posted online, you know, um, now it's important to clear out. So now we are clearing out not just what I mean, okay, but I'm also making clear what I did not, I do not mean, okay. What, uh, so you will know what I am saying as well as what I am not saying, okay. So you wouldn't have to um, have to assume, okay, assume, okay. Are we there? Ephesians 1.13. Are we there? We saw that last week, so we are starting from there. It says, In whom you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, you see that one? The premise of believing, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It says what? Now, it describes the Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee? KJV earnest. I said it means guarantee. The earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So what you said, I explained that, okay? So that word earnest is the Greek word arabon, okay? A-R-R-H-A-B-O-N. The O has an accent on it, okay? And it means a down payment, okay? I explained it last week, but I didn't explain it well enough. Okay, it means a down payment. So when you pay something down, so basically it means money paid in advance, okay? As a proof or pledge that the rest will be paid. Do you understand that? Okay, when you pay paying something, money paid in advance as a proof or, or pledge that what the rest is going to be paid. So let's say you are owing five hundred thousand naira and you pay a hundred thousand naira. Okay, that's the down payment. Okay, um, to assure the person that you're going to pay the rest. I, I do you understand? Okay, so the Holy Spirit in us is a down payment. Okay, as, as what as an assurance or as a proof that what our inheritance is secure as we are going to receive it in the future okay um what is what the redemption of the purchase possession that like we got to explain so look at chapter two are we there chapter two and the one beautiful thing i was seeing at the end of chapter one is how that um jesus is seated far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come but look at chapter two as well verse six are we there are we there? Look at what it says. What? And raised us up together, and what and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you see that what Jesus is far above all principalities and power, and it says that what we are seated with Christ. Okay? In the heavenly places. So um, Jesus is far above all principalities and power, and so are we. Okay? Now it says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Okay, so that's our position now. So it's not a future position. It's not somewhere we're going to be in the future, it's where we are now. Just like we saw in, in Philippians 3.20 last week that says what? Our citizenship is in heaven. From where we will wait for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will 
transform our lowly bodies that may be fashioned of his glorious body. Alright, so don't forget that. So I explained out that we are what citizens of heaven. We are citizens and not candidates. So it's important, I mean, it's important to take note of that. Okay, so we saw out that what the redemption of our bodies is a certainty. I guess you remember that. If you remember, let me see your hand. Huh? All right, the redemption of our bodies is a certainty. You remember when we saw First Thessalonians five? You know, we saw that when it started explaining that what the dead in Christ shall arise for us, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the cloud to meet with the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be in the, in, with the Lord? And everything. You know, look how we end that um, uh, that statement. It says what therefore what comfort one another with these words. Is that what you can't comfort someone based on a probability? Uh, you convert people on what on uncertainty. Okay? So it's important to understand that. Alright, so it, it is a word of comfort that our future is secure. Okay, you cannot receive comfort over a probability. You remember, you know, um Luke 15, verse 17, that says that what um there's the over over one um, one soul that gets saved, there's joy in heaven. You know, if it's a 50-50 chance that you can still get you can still get missing in the long run and you and it will end up being a waste, you know. It, it will make sense, okay? So there's no joy, there's no um, um, joy basically over a probability. This is over a certainty. All right, look at verse 8 now. Ephesians 2 8. We saw that last week as well. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So salvation is a gift. You don't work for a gift. Is that what? You have been saved by grace through faith. Now says verse 10, verse 9, sorry, not of works, lest any man should boast. So one thing that is clear in the Bible is that what salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So there's no other way. It is grace only, faith only, Christ only, in Christ only. Okay? So you see the, like the Latin word um, sola Christos. Christ only, solar pistis, you know, faith only. All right. So it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. John, um, remember um, John 10, we saw last week as well, John 10, 27 to 30. You know, it explains that what, it says that what, um, and it says what, um, I, uh, you do not believe me because you are not of my sheep. When I had to say that what, um, um, I know my sheep. Okay, my sheep hear my voice and I know them, and I, you know, and they follow me. It says what, and I gave to them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Okay, we see the word what and they shall never perish. That's a very emphatic word by Jesus. They shall never perish. He didn't say, um, um, I will do my best so that they will not perish. I will warn them so they would know what to do in order not to perish. He says, They shall never perish. Okay? And of course we believe the words of Jesus, don't we? Huh? Okay, they shall never perish. Now, when goes ahead to say that was neither shall anyone says, and no one shall plug him out of my hand. And my father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no one is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Okay, so you, you see, I explained that what there's only one way you can be plugged out of God's hand from that statement. Okay, you have to be greater than God. Okay, that's the only way you can pluck someone out or pluck yourself out. Okay, because no one includes you. Hallelujah. Okay, so um, you know, and our, our plaintiff may want to say that, um, um, what about Jonah? Because I've, I've heard the argument, um, I think I've heard it a couple of times, maybe a couple of years ago as well. Now, what about Jonah? That the Bible says that he, he fled from the presence of the Lord. 
So um, there was nothing like he ran away from God's presence. So like like by himself, he ran away from God's presence. So he ran away from God's grasp. You know, something like that. I've heard that a number of times. Let's move there. This is going Jonah 1. Jonah chapter 1. This is fast, 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 fast. I know a number of us have not seen Jonah in, in ages. Okay. Jonah chapter 1. Are we there? I wish I could tell you the page that it is, but we are not using the same Bible uh, font size. Okay, we are there, thank God. <laughs> All right, look at Jonah 1, look at verse 3. Look at it says what? But Jonah arose, after the God Lord told him to go and preach against Nineveh, he said, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from where? From the presence of the Lord. Is that your Bible? Okay, so the question now is number one, to be honest, I don't exactly see how that basically connects with. John 10. How thing from the presence of the Lord means that you run away, I mean, that you have, um, that is a, it's possible to pluck yourself out of God's presence. But let's give the benefit of a doubt. So the question now is is it actually possible to flee from the presence of, of God? Is it actually possible to flee from the presence of God? Can't your Bibles, Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66. I said we have to be very fast today, okay? Isaiah 66. The messages will be available in once the series is over, so you can always refresh your memories. Isaiah 66, are we there? Verse 1. Look at what it says. It says, Thus says the Lord. Don't forget, we're answering the question, is it possible to flee from the presence of God? Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Okay, look at what it says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Do you know what a footstool means? You know, like for example, let's say a king now sitting on his uh, royal uh, chair in the palace and he has to place his leg on his stool. Okay, if he doesn't want to place it on the ground, that's a footstool. You see that what the earth is my footstool. Okay, so it shows that um, the earth is too small for God to even cover in the first place. So, like, where do you want to want to? <laughs> Okay, let's just buttress that. Okay, where do you want to want to? You know, that um, God is omnipresent. Omnipresent, sorry. He's omnipresent. See Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. Are we there? Jeremiah chapter 23. So we're answering the first um, um, argument um, um, that is uh, presented by the plaintiff. Okay, are we there? Jeremiah 23, are we there? Verse 23. Okay, look at it. it says, Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and, and not a God afar off? Am I close and not far as well? Okay, look at verse 24. Can we verse 24 together? Everybody want to go. Can anyone hide himself in secret places? Shall I not see him, says the Lord? Do I not feel the heaven and the earth, says the Lord? Can you see that? So, is it possible to flee from the presence of God? Huh? I'm asking. Okay. The benefit of a doubt again. Okay. Um, Psalm 139. Psalm 139. At least you will see the same words used. Psalm 139. Are we there? Verse 7. Psalm 139, verse 7. I 
I want us to give our seven together, then I'll, I'll read that word alone. Are we there? Are we there? Can we read verse 7, Psalm 139, fast, fast, fast. Waiting, waiting. Okay? Everybody, verse 7, want to go. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Can you see that? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I surely say, sorry, if I say surely darkness shall follow me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as day, the darkness and light are both alike to you. Okay? So you see what it says. It starts by posing a question that where can I go from your spirit? Where can I hide? Where can I, is it, where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. To the earth, you are there. To the seas, you are there. Okay? So I'm asking one more time, is it possible to flee from the presence of God? Huh? Huh? Okay? It's not possible. Okay? So, when, so it's important to understand, when the Bible says that Jonah fled, okay, from the presence of God, what it simply means is that he ran away from the place that the Lord spoke to him. Do you understand? Okay, that's just what it means. Alright. That he, he ran away from that place, that point, that location where that the Lord spoke to him. When the Lord spoke to him, he ran away to where? He was trying to flee to where? Tarshish. That's what it means. That he fled. Okay, that he wanted to flee from the presence of the Lord. Or he fled from the presence of the Lord. Okay? So, um, um, it, it's, it's obvious that he's not going to flee that from the presence of God. God is everywhere. And that's very evident in the fact that even when he was in the whale's belly, he still prayed to God. Okay? So that's evident. Okay? So, you know, in fact, the book of Jonah, on the, on the other hand, actually tells the story of how God does not give up on people. You know, I, I, I made a post, on uh, a similar post, if some of you saw it um, earlier this week, I think about maybe three days ago, you know, about that. You know, that's what the story of Jonah actually tells, that God does not give up on people. God sent Jonah on an error and, and he disobeyed. Still, God is not like, oh, you are not serious. Let me look for someone else. God ensured that he, he still carried out the assignment. So, this argument by the by the um, plaintiff, okay, of Jonah being like plucking his out of God's hands or whatever, it does not apply. Number one, we have seen how that it's impossible to flee from prayer of God. Number two, we see that the story is even saying something different. How, or now God does not give up on people. And number three, more, uh, most importantly, is that what Jesus had not even died yet. Jesus had no reason for his death yet. This was centuries before Jesus, um, uh, before Jesus even uh, was born into the world. Okay, so um, it's important to take note of that. All right. So First John five. Let's go ahead with the case of the defendant. First John chapter five. Counsel with me, God's word is spiritual. And I am spiritual too. God's word is spiritual. And I am too. Glory to God. First John 5, verse 11. Are we there? Are we there? Okay, look at verse 11. Okay, can we read verse 11 um, to verse 12 together? Are we all there? And the weights? Okay. One to go. And this is the testimony. Okay, this is where we're Okay, want to go? That God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So, is, is eternal life something you are going to receive in the future? 
Huh? What does the Bible say about eternal life? That what we have it now. Can you see that? Okay? So the Bible says we have eternal life now. You know? And it's important to know that what if it can be lost, then it was never eternal in the first place. Okay? And that will make the Bible a book of errors, spuriosity, and fallacy. And of course it isn't. You know, what eternal means it's you know I know it means it it means um something that is not bounded by time. Okay, it's not bounded by time. Okay, and the Bible says we have it now. It's not something that's going to end, not soon, not ever. Hallelujah. You know. You know, for, for centuries, we, 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 saw, we saw some something like that last week, but I just want to buttress for that. You know, for centuries, um, men labored to be, to be, I mean, to be um, perfect, you know, and righteous before God. And we saw that it was in vain. You remember, you remember Isaiah 26, right? Like a woman with child, okay? You, uh, waiting for the time of her delivery, but what comes out? Just flatus, just wind, okay? Vanity, to show that it was just in vain, a wasted effort. So Isaiah 59 that says what mentioned our state. You know, every time we try to do everything the best we could do, we always we only go moving backwards. Every time we're trying to move forward, we're only moving backwards. Says, and the Lord saw it. And he saw that there was no money. And he warned that, that there was no in- intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation to him. And his own righteousness sustained him. Can you see that? Okay? So you see, for centuries, men were laboring to um, to, to be perfect before God, you know, to to um to be righteous before God, you know, but Jesus showed up. All right, Jesus showed up to present something entirely different. Okay, he he showed up to help us to learn the only way to be righteous before God. Okay, you know, um, self righteousness is righteousness by works. I I I want to believe that we have um, um we have gone through the the first um one of the major um. Don't worry about that. Okay. Um, I want to believe we have gone through one of the major exhibits that I that I presented. That's on the teaching on, in 2018. Righteousness, what you ought to know. You know, it's a teaching where which I really want you to listen to for those who haven't. Okay. You get to understand the kind of righteousness from the Old Testament writings to the four Gospels to the New Testament writings. All right. So I would just do a, a, a summary of, of that teaching. Okay, now self righteousness. Like I said, Jesus came to present the only way to be righteous before God. Now, self righteousness is righteousness by works. Okay, righteousness by the law. You know, um, trying to place yourself under do's and don'ts. I do this, I don't do this. You know, forget, you remember, you remember, um, I am um, sorry, Ephesians um, 2 that says that what uh, for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. That means not by your own actions. This is the gift of God. It says not of works. Okay, so what self-righteousness is a righteousness that is predicated on what, how well you obey some set of rules. You know, when you believe that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm righteous before God because I don't use makeup, I'm righteous before God because I don't fight, I'm righteous because, you know, and you get to a point where, like, one of the examples I give, for example, someone just, someone just comes, your last meal, you just drag it from your phone and start eating it your phone, and you're like, ah, oh, God, ah, I don't want to lose my righteousness. Okay, I'll be watching. 
you know. You know, so it's just like predicated on on. Uh, I can see that face, like before we. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I, you know, it's predicated on how well you obey some set of rules. That's the righteousness by works. That's self righteousness. That's righteousness of the law. But what does Isaiah call it in Proverbs? Isaiah chapter four verse six. Say that what, what all our righteousness are what are filthy rags before God. Okay, those works of righteousness are what filthy rags before God. Okay, so there is only one way. Okay. There's only one way. Okay, now it's important to know that righteousness is from the Greek word dikaiosune. I explained a number of times. D-I-K-A-I-O-S-U-N-E. The E has an accent on it. So it's dikaiosune. Okay, which means, which describes being innocent. That's what it means. Being innocent completely without any iota of guilt. Okay? So that word is the same word justification. So whenever you see the word justification in the Bible, it means righteousness. Dikaiosune. Okay, it means completely innocent before God, guiltless. So when you see the word righteous, you mean that you mean you see the word just. It means the same thing, the chaos. Alright? It means innocent before God. Okay, innocent before God, that God sees you as blameless. Alright. Alright. So let's see um, um, the new, I mean the only way. Romans chapter three. Romans chapter three. Romans three, are we there? Romans 3, verse 21. So we'll be reading verse 21 and 22 together. I think I'll I'll present the clearest portions for us. Romans 3, 21 and 22. Are we there? Are we there? Can't wait together, everybody want to go. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. 22, even the righteousness of God which is by faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. Can you see that verse 22? The, the, uh, verse 21 explains that what the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. So you see that um, he didn't say the righteousness of God um, has, has now come like a new one. No, it was never new. It has always been there, but this time around it has what been revealed. Are you following me? Okay, so it now says that what being witnessed by the law and the prophet, like I explained, it was prophesied before and in the Old Testament. Okay, now it now goes ahead to say, like I explained, I gave some references to uh, Jeremiah, okay, I think 27 and 27, that says that what uh, this is name, a branch shall come from the root of Jesus, and this name that shall be called the Lord of our righteousness. Okay, Jehovah Sikeno, you see some portion in Isaiah as well, we'll see one of those portions. Okay, even David spoke about it, and it's, I will show you that. Okay, now it says, being witnessed by the law and the prophet, that means it was prophesied beforehand, okay, in the Old Testament writers. Now it says, verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Can you see that? Righteousness of God is what? By faith. So we see that what? The opposite, the righteousness that God sees, or that God desires, is not self-righteousness, but what? Is righteousness what the righteousness of God? Right or right? Say that what righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ to all and upon all that believe, for there is no difference. That I explained that there's no difference means there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek following the context. All right. So can we turn um, to the next chapter, chapter four, and look at something? Uh, we're going to be very fast, but look at look at the, um, the the argument that Paul poses in explaining that. Are we there? All right. So further through, it says, What shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified, don't forget, I said justified means what? To be righteous. It means, so when you say justified as a verb, it means to be made righteous. Are, are you with me? 
Okay, so if, if Abraham was made righteous by works, he has something to boast about. Don't forget, he's talking about by works now. Righteousness by works. This is what if that's the case, what he has something to boast about, but what not before God. That says, for what of the scripture says, Abraham believed God. That's Genesis 15 6. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. On the premise of what? Believing. Okay? That says, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. What does that mean? I've explained that a number of times. Look, it says, now to him who works, the wages. What's the word used in KJV? The reward. Okay, it means the wages. If you work, for example, I, I'm a dry cleaner. That's the, one of the examples I use most. Dry cleaner, I dry clean clothes for um, laundry and everything for 200 naira per clothes. You give me 500, I mean, you give me, you give me five clothes. By the time I do it for you, how much am I expecting from you? A thousand naira. That one thousand naira, by the time you give me, is it a gift? It is what? It's a wage. It's my salary because what I worked for it. Are you with me? That's what it says. What? Verse, look at verse 4 again. Now to him who works, the wages are counted not as grace. Don't forget, grace means a word gift. Okay? Okay? Charisma. Charis. Okay? But as what? Death. Can you see that? Verse 5. It says, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies or makes righteous the ungodly, his faith is accounted for what? For righteousness. Can you see that? That is what just as David also describes the blessedness. So, is that what David was about to read? I prophesied it beforehand. Just like David described the blessedness of the man who God imputes righteousness apart from works, that's without works. It says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Can you see that? That's what God is not imputing sin on you. That's what God's righteousness is on you. Can you see that? That God is seeing you as what sinless. God is not imputing sin. On you can you see that hallelujah move to chapter 9 chapter 9 are we there are we there verse 30 Romans 9 30 okay because it says what shall we say there now Paul is giving an argument okay you want to understand something he explains how that um, um, Israel that had relationship with God in the Old Testament God did not see them as righteous now this is talking on a generalized note now okay that is where they had a relationship with God, even right from the from time. God did not see them as righteous, but the Gentiles that didn't have a relationship with God right from time, they were seen as 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 aliens, strangers, quote unquote bastards, dogs. Okay? God saw them as righteous before God. So why? So through that we understand what it means. Are we there? Now Romans 9:30, are we there? It says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness. Look at, I've attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of what? Okay? So the righteousness of God is by what? Or of what? Is of faith. Okay? Even the righteousness which is of faith. Look at that. says, but Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, though they pursued it, unlike the Gentiles, what happened? Has not attained to the law of righteousness. This why? KJV is the word wherefore. That's why. This because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For the stumble that that stumbling stone, says, as it is written, be, below beyond I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. That's figurative of Jesus. And whosoever believes on him shall not be put to shame. Now says, what brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Can you see that? Can you see that righteousness and salvation are together? They are intertwined. So he says that what because they did not believe to receive righteousness, they are not saved. Can you see that? So my prayer for Israel is that they may be saved, for I bear witness that they have a zeal for God. Can you see that? But not according to knowledge. That means they truly want 
to be perfect before God. But it's what is not according to knowledge. They are trying to work it out themselves. And what the ways of knowledge? Huh? Ignorance. That's why I say that what verse 3. For they being what? Ignorant of God's righteousness. Pay attention. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking, okay, they'll be going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Can you see that? It says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that what? That believes. Can you see that? Okay? That believes what? Look at verse 9. You understand what it means to believe. Okay, verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what is to be believed? The what? The gospel. Right? Huh? I guess you remember what the gospel is, right? Okay? How, okay? The gospel is about what, what, how, what, how, God died, how Jesus died for our sins and what he rose again from the dead. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So you see that what upon salvation, when you believed the gospel, when you chose to place your faith in Jesus by believing the gospel, what happened? You, what you received the righteousness of God. I guess that's clear. Huh? Okay? You received the righteousness of God. Okay? You know, you, I want you to understand this, like, like, like I explained in that teaching. It is called what the righteousness of what? Of God. One allegory I use many times is, for example, um, Dangote, let's, um, uh, Dangote is, of course, the richest man in, okay, let me use Nigeria now. Okay, let me use Africa. He's the richest man in Africa. Let's say Dangote has $50 billion, just an assumption. Let's say that's what it's worth. And I now come and I say that what you guys that are just ailing Dangote everywhere, do you know that I have the money of Dangote? If I say I have the money of Dangote, what do I, what do I mean? I mean I would, I'm also worth $50 billion. That means I, would, I am rich, just as Dangote is. Can you see that? So if the Bible says that what the Christian or the believer has the righteousness of God, what does it mean? That what you are righteous just as God is. Why? Because it is the righteousness of God that has been imputed to you. God's own righteousness that has been imputed to you. I guess that's clear, is it? Okay? God's own righteousness. Okay? God's own righteousness. It has been imputed to you upon believing. You didn't work for it. No? Righteousness is a gift. Look at chapter 5. Just um, back up to the, um, the fifth chapter. Are we there? Romans 5. Are we there? Okay. Romans 5 verse 17. Are we there? It says, well, For if by one man's offense, that's talking about Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and what? Of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So you see that, how, how does it describe righteousness? As a what? As a gift. Righteousness is a gift you are given upon believing the gospel okay so that is what so if you want to explain salvation salvation is but being declared righteous before god can you see that can you see that okay that salvation is a gift righteousness is a gift don't forget we saw it uh, as well in Ephesians 2 i say that what salvation is a gift so that they are together they are not separate they are inseparable okay they are inseparable hallelujah Okay, so a man that is saved is a man that is righteous before God. A righteous man is a man that is saved. So you cannot separate the two. If you are not righteous, that means you are not saved. If you are not saved, you are not righteous. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2. Galatians chapter 2.
Are we there? Look at verse 16. I want us to read it together. This is the first video Bibles. Galatians 2.16. Are we there? Everybody, can we read together? I want to go. Knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Don't forget, I explained justify. It means what? That's the kayuo. It means what? To be righteous. Okay? To be made righteous. So you see that what? It is not by works. It's not by um, obeying some set of rules. God's way is that what? You believe in, in, in me. You know, like I explained, what salvation is 100% God's performance, 0% man's performance. It's like an awoof. God did everything that needs to be done, and he invites man to come and partake of it. So you either choose to come in or to stay out. That is where faith comes in. Okay? Believing in God's provision for you. Okay? That is how to receive righteousness. So God, it is, it is pride before God. When God presents a way to be righteous, and you are trying to walk out another way. That is pride before God. So humility before God is what receiving, placing your faith in what he has made available for you. And I explained that when I was in that teaching, you'll get to understand it better when I explain um, um, some portions of Luke as well. Okay? So that is humility before God. You know, faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in his provision for you. For you. Uh, for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See Philippians 3. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. The portion that we are going to read together as well. So I would just want you to follow from, um, I will read from verse 3. So we'll read the, um, we'll read verse 9 together. Are we together? Okay, look at what it says. It says, For we are the circumcision. Now, this is Paul talking here. Now, pay attention. We are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. When you say I have no confidence in the flesh, that means you are not boasting in your works. In your works. Are, we, are you together? Are we together? Yes. Now look at it. It's going to get clearer. That is, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. That means something I can boast about my, my exploits. It says, if anyone else thinks that he may, that he may have confidence in the flesh, he says, what I more. Look at it. It says, now he explains his credentials, those things he has achieved by his own actions. It says, circumcise the eighth day. Of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Look, I says what concerning the law of Pharisee. It says concerning zeal, prosecuting the church. Okay, it says concerning the righteousness which is in the law. What did he say? Blameless. Can you see that? Look at what he says. But what things were gained to me? These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Look at, and I count them as what? Dung. Can you use the word dung? Yes, what? Rubbish. That I may gain Christ. Don't forget, I call it what? Filthy rags. Because it's dung. You know what animal dung is, right? Animals excreta. Can you see that? We waste. So I count it as what? Rubbish that I may gain Christ. Can we verse 9 together? To, to what end? Verse 9 together, everybody wants to go. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that is which is through the faith in Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. Can you see that? So is the believer righteous today? Huh? Is the believer righteous today? Okay? You know, the Bible says it. 
We believe it. And that settles it. Look at, look at the uh, 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 um, a proclamation of that in the Old Testament. Isaiah 51. Isaiah chapter 51. So you are righteous. You are in that state already. So it's not something that, it's not that you're going to be righteous um, um, maybe when you, when you get to heaven. No, you are righteous as God is right now. You have eternal life right now. You are seeing right now. Hallelujah. Isaiah 51. Are we there? Are we there? Okay. Look at from verse 1. Now pay attention. I'll be reading from verse 1 through to verse 8. Look at this. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from where you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from where you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father. Don't forget, Abraham is an example of righteousness by faith. You remember that, right? That we saw in Romans 4. That he has not, if he wanted to boast in works, he, he could boast, but not before God. But he said that what he was, he be, Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. Okay, taking quote from um, Genesis 15:6. Now it says what? And look to Abraham your father. That's um, as an example. And to Sarah who bore you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all our waste places. He will make our wilderness like Eden and our desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found in it, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Let's listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation. For the Lord will proceed for me and I will make my justice rest as a light of the peoples. My righteousness is near. Whose righteousness? Okay. My righteousness as God's, my righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the people. The coastlands will wait upon me, and on my arm they will trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look to the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke, and the earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be for how long? Forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. Listen to me, you who know righteousness. You people in whose heart is my law, do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So are we clear so far? Alright, so we can move forward. So the question now is, does this mean that you can live anyhow? Okay, having established that, does it mean that um, the Christian can live anyhow? A resounding no. No. Like I said, why concluding last week? You know, the, ep- the epistles are replete with instructions for the believer. You know, about conduct, how we must act, how we must behave. You know, there is such a thing as Christian conduct. Turn with me to Romans 6. Romans chapter 6. There is such a thing as Christian conduct. Romans chapter 6. Are we there? We'll be seeing verse 12. Look at verse 12 and 13. Are we there? I'm going to read it. Look at this. Therefore, do not let sin wane in your mortal body, that you should obey it in his lusts. Romans 6, verse 12. 
Look to your Bibles. That you should obey it in its Lord. See? And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't forget. Because what you are righteous. So do not act the other way around. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And your members as instruments. When you talk about your members, I talk about your bodies now. As, and your members as instruments of righteousness to, to God. Look at chapter 12, Romans 12. So is that and he's talking about conduct that we have seen so far? Okay, so the, the boss says you live anyhow. Okay, Romans 12, verse 1. Are we there? It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now says, And do not be conformed to this word. Can you see that? And do not be conformed to this word, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Can you see that? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So is that an instruction on how to conduct yourself as a believer? Huh? Okay. So, so it's important for you to know that, you know, when you refuse to conduct yourself the right way, you are simply cheating yourself of the benefits of living the life. That's what you are doing. Okay? You are, you are simply cheating yourself of the benefits of living the life. You know, though it does not affect your salvation, but it affects your spiritual growth and your conscience. You know, you know, it's, it's, you know it's, it's like a king. Someone that is a king. You know a king that is, that is living in, in the servant, in a king, living in servant chambers. Living where servants are staying. That's what, what it is. Like a king living in church. Does that change the fact that he's a king? Huh? It does not change the fact that he's a king, but what is is at the wrong place. Or is doing the wrong thing. It, that is what a misplacement of identity. So when you do the when you, when you are giving yourself, when you refuse to conduct yourself the right way as a Christian. You know, you are misplacing your identity. You are acting who you are not. Just like acting in a drama. You know, as, if, as, as, as an actor, you are, you are paid to portray a character that is not you. That's just what you are doing. You are acting who you are not. Okay, it's a misplacement of identity. You know, you know that, that is a way, a way Christians give the devil a loophole into their minds. You know? When you act, when you, 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 you refuse to portray yourself the right way as a Christian, you are giving the devil a loop to your mind. And it's very dangerous if the devil gets into your mind. The devil is not a joker, okay? Alright. So you are cheating yourself. You are just cheating yourself. Okay? So it's important for you to know that what you are in the word, but you are not of the word. Alright? See Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, very fast. Are we there? Colossians 3, verse 1. Are we there? Okay, he says, if, you, if then you were risen with Christ, seek those things that are above. Don't forget, you have risen with Christ, so you are now above, right? So, seek those things that are above where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God. 
Look at set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. You are above those things already. That's why I was saying, like, what well, a king that is finding himself in the wrong place. Because you are already above those things on the earth. So when you are setting your mind on the things on the earth, you are condescending to another level, to a lower estate. Okay? So what well, you are in this world, but you are not of the world. You are not like them. See 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, are we there? 2 Corinthians 5, are we there? Verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Are we together? 14, are we there? It says what? For the love of Christ compels us, because we judged us, that if one died for all, then all died. Can you believe all were dead, right? And says, and he died for all. Look at verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So it is our responsibility to live for Jesus who died for us and the rules again. Look at the next chapter, chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 6. Are we there? See verse 14. Are we there? 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Say what? Can we read verse 14 together, everybody? Everybody, are we there? 1, 2, go. Do not be unequally yoked together. I can't hear everybody with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness? Look at what it says. Do not be unequally yoked with who? With unbelievers. Look at what it now says. For what fellowship has what? Righteousness. With unrighteousness. So how does it describe the believer as what? How does it describe the unbeliever as what? Can you see? So what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? So do not be unequally yoked together with unbeliever. No, it simply means that you and the believers, you are different. You are not the same at all. You are not even alike in any way. So you try to, as, try to um, be in, a, uh, in, um, in tandem with them is an unequal yoke. It is unequal. Just like uh, a farmer that, that is plowing. And you know, normally, maybe you actually we use two, two, um, two um, cows or two um, um, cattle, though. To, to, to move the plow from one place to another. Then you now decide that, okay, let me, let me use one cow and one, what can I, what other animal um, is in the, uh, maybe one cow and maybe one um, sheep. Imagine, that's an unequal yoke. Right or right? So that's just what it means. Okay? You are not like unbelievers. Okay? So don't seek to be in tandem with them. Alright? So that was what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness or lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Okay? So it is an unequal yoke. Okay? So, you, so we can see that what the Bible does not tolerate the believer living anyhow. Does it? No. So our reality should not point us to a wayward life. No. It should actually make us to be grateful. You know, it should strengthen us to live for God. That's what it should do. Okay? So it's important to know that. Okay? So now being a Christian is beyond being saved. 
you know we saw in 2 Corinthians 5, there is such a thing as living for Jesus. There is such a thing as fulfilling your purpose on earth. There is such a thing as fulfilling ministry. You know, you must stand up to it in the face of persecution. Even in the face of persecution, you must stand up to this cause. You must. That is your responsibility. You know, we have seen our reality, and you know, there are things that we are happy about, excited, yes, righteousness, and everything. You know, but this everything, you have to see everything. You know, remember my post, was it two or three days ago? That if you are trying to pick more portion of the Bible, some portion of the Bible that are the ones that you are okay with and some are not okay with, that is not the Bible you believe but yourself. Okay? So the Bible is complete. Alright. So what there's such a thing as living for Jesus, there's such a thing as fulfilling your purpose on earth, fulfilling ministry. You have to live up to it, stand up to it, even in the face of persecution. See second second Timothy. Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Are we there? Post second letter to Pastor Timothy. Second Timothy chapter four. This is four, sorry, chapter three. Second Timothy three. Are we there? Verse 12. Can we read verse 12 together, everybody? Want to go? Yes. And all, everybody wants to go. Yes. And all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Can you see that? So you have received many beautiful things. But you have received the package as well. <laughs> persecution. Something that comes hand in hand with ministry. With fulfilling your purpose. As long as you are going to live for Jesus, as long as you are going to live Godly in Christ, you will suffer persecution. Because you are doing the opposite of what the world expects. See Philippians 1. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1. Sorry, you don't have a pen? Okay, you do. Okay, I thought I thought you were sharing. Philippians one. Are we there? Verse twenty nine. Are we there? Are we there? Can we in verse twenty nine together, everybody? Everybody, one, two, go. For to you it has been granted on the behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him but also to what to suffer for His sake. Can you see that? Can you see that? Can you say with me, sufferings, sufferings are housed in Christ. Can you see that? <laughs> no, it's something that comes hand in hand with ministry. Persecution. You are, you, are, you are living in a place that is not yours, that is not your home. So the people that are of that place will treat you as a stranger. They will persecute you. As long as you are going to live for Jesus. So I said, like I said, what is not just about being Christian, it's not just about being saved. There's such a thing as living for Jesus. Okay? So you will suffer for Christ. But the beautiful thing is that what those sufferings, those things, they are not in vain. They are not in vain. There's such a thing as reward. Like I said, you know, um, sufferings. Persecutions come hand in hand with fulfilling your ministry. But it's something that comes at the tail end of ministry, which is what the reward. 
So your sufferings are not in vain. There's such a thing as a reward. You know, every Christian will be judged based on his faithfulness with the Father's work. Every Christian will be judged based on his faithfulness with the Father's work. You know, the thing is, the thing is that what not every believer will receive reward. Not every believer will receive reward. You will be judged based on your faithfulness with the Father's work. We have seen that your salvation is, 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 is intact. But there's such a thing as judgment based on your work, or on your faithfulness with the Father's work, on a reward basis now, not on, on salvation basis. Say 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. The one reason we have to explain this thoroughly so, so that there will be no loophole left for the plaintiff when he comes. We need to clear out everything. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be helpful for us in subsequent meetings, subsequent Saturdays, when we get to examine some other portions of the Bible that seem to be um, obscure, seem not to be clear. First Corinthians 4, are we there? See verse 1. First Corinthians 4, verse 1. Are we there? Look at what it says. it says. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ, stewards of the mystery of Christ. Look at verse 2. It says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Can you see that? You know what a steward means? Okodomio in the Greek. It's talking about what being placed um, as, um, with, with responsibility in care of something. Just like what um, Joseph was to Potiphar. He was in he was placed in charge of his possession. So that's how God has placed us. Okay? So we are stewards okay, of this message. Okay? So what it is required in steward, verse 2, that one be found faithful. You know, every Christian will be judged based on his faithfulness with the Father's works. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians 2. Sorry, that's 2 Corinthians. Sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy Chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2. Are we there? See verse 3. 2 Timothy 2 verse 3. Are we there? You know, it says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And if and also if anyone competes as so he competes in athletics, I think this is what for the masters, right? He's talking about a, a, athletics basically. Like for using an uh, illustration of someone that wants to run, for example, as a competition, he is not crowned. Look at verse five. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he what he competes or strives according to the rules. I think KJV is what strives lawfully or something. It means what well, you are striving according to the rules. That means you are doing it God's way. So you are not going to be rewarded. That way you see that you talk about what is not crowned. Right? That what there's a price for running. If you run the race, there's going to be a price at the tail end. That's the reward now. So now this is not talking about salvation, but it's talking about rewards for what? For enduring hardship of Jesus Christ. For fulfilling the ministry of Jesus. You will not be crowned unless, unless you compete according to the rules. Okay? So God is not going to, uh, you're not going to, there's no reward for running another man's race, doing what God did not send you. You have to compete lawfully. This is 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, this is a portion of the Bible I'll wait for us to get in. Please let me fast. 
This is the point of the Bible that I showed us um, um, last week as well when we were talking about our the certainty of our the redemption of our bodies. Are we there? Second Corinthians five. Second Corinthians five. Are we there? Okay, you know, it started by explaining the sanctity of our look at verse one said that we have a beauty from God, the outnumber without eternal in the heavens. You know, so that what verse uh, uh, that will be clothed in verse four, so that mortality will be swallowed up by life. That means it's talking about the uh, uh, our um, mortal bodies um, making way for immortal bodies. Okay, it now says verse five, but he who has prepared for us this very same thing is God, who has also given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. KJV earnest of the spirit, don't forget the Arabon, a down payment. So it shows that way it is a certainty. Why the right? But look at what it didn't just end there. That's a certainty. That's sure for every believer. But there's also something in verse 10. Look at it says for um sorry, verse, verse 9. It says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present, that means whether still alive or absent in, in, in uh, that's um, um when you're in dead. It says that what to be well pleasing to him. That means there's so a thing as what pleasing God as well. About though it is certain, but there's certain thing that was pleasing God as well, because there's something in, in mind. Verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Can you see that? So there's certain thing as judgment for the Christians. Though, of course, it is not the judgment of everybody, like the one of that, um, it's not the judgment of um, you. You are not saved. Get out. You know, this is talking about the judgment for Christians now. It's going to be you're going to be judged on the on works basis now. On how well you have fulfilled the Lord's the Lord's work. This is a reward basis now. Okay. So that was after pointing our chance, he still went ahead to explain out that what they saw thing as was pleasing God, because we will be judged based on our works for rewards. Like I said, not every believer is going to receive rewards. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Are we there? You know, after Paul had, had, had um, finished his, fulfilled his ministry just, um, I think, a couple of months before, before his death. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Are we there? Are we there? Verse 1, look at it says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. KJV is the word quick and the dead. It means, quick means living. Okay? Uh, it has to do with Zao. Something Zao, man, something. Okay? Now, um, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom? Look at it. Now, now look at verse um, verse 7. It says, what? I have fought the good fight. Can you say that they as fighting the fight? By the right, the fight of faith. Don't worry, I, I please I, I recommend that my, my teaching, one of my um, one of my most um, historical teachings last year, the war of faith. Examining the church in the fourth century AD. Okay, it's a three week teaching. Okay, now it says what verse verse seven it says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course of the race. I have kept the faith. So because of that, that was finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Can you see a reward there? Huh? Okay, it says what which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to also to all who love is appearing. Can you see that? Okay, so there's such a thing as rewards. Okay, now something very important to pay attention to first Corinthians three. Because it will be one of the um the the, the, the uh, verses we'll get to 
um, exam in a couple of weeks. So it's better to pay attention. First Corinthians 3, are we there? First Corinthians 3, are we there? First Corinthians 3, verse 13. Now please pay attention. Pay very um, rapt attention. Okay? Are we there, verse 13? Are we there? Okay, it says what? Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. Please pay attention. And fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive what? A reward. So can you let's talk about reward now. Now look at verse 15. Says, if anyone's work is burnt, he will suffer loss. That means loss of what? Loss of what? Okay, you will now see whether he's talking about law of salvation or law of reward. Look at that complete sentence. But he himself shall be what? Can you see that? Yet though as by fire. So is this talking about a loss of salvation? Is what a loss of reward. Believer's salvation is secure. Is that what he will be saved? But what is going to suffer loss? He's going to lose his reward if his work is burnt. Can you see that? Can you see that? So what a believer's salvation. As long as the Bible remains true, which is our manual and legislation, the believer's salvation is secure in Christ. And it's very important that you don't fall for, you know, we hear a lot of visions and dreams of people that say they went to heaven. And you now you get the names of you say, ah, this great man of God is in hell. And many of these things, you get many things, and you start to shiver, start to shake, and many things. And the funny thing is that I've actually seen, I've actually seen someone, <laughs> I actually know someone that has, had that, that has had that kind of dream before while he was younger. <laughs> that, ah, many Christians are in hell and everything. And it's one that is preaching now that they believe I saved. He <laughs> said that those times like this is because of what we were taught, those things that, that were in our minds. Those are the things that were affecting what we knew. <laughs> that would that affect what we see many a time. Okay? That's just banks. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Alright. So it's important that you do not fall for the visions and dreams that say otherwise from what the Bible says. For experiences that say otherwise. But for you to know this, and I always stand with you, experiences do not validate God's word. Okay? It is God's word that validates experiences. It's God's word that 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 is the that stands as the judge that decides whether this experience is right or wrong. What does the Bible say about it? Hallelujah, glory to God. Okay, so from what we have seen so far, so can a Christian lose his salvation? Huh? Okay, can a Christian lose his reward? Yes. Huh? Yes. Okay. Salvation is not a reward for work. Don't remember, I mean, you remember that we have seen that we are not saved by our works, right? Okay? So salvation is not a reward for work. But there is a reward for work. Okay? We see that was salvation. Salvation, we don't work for it. Okay? But in fulfilling God's ministry, in fulfilling God's mandate, we have to work for it. It is a labor. That's why there's always wages at the end for labor. It is labor. That's why I talk about the fact that we're going to go through persecutions, going to go through sufferings, as long as we're going to live Godly in Christ and fulfill God's mission, God's purpose for our lives. Okay? So salvation is not a reward for work, but there's a reward for work. Okay? So one thing we can see 
I think you can see now that believers are not the same when they die. Why the right? They are not the same when they die. So you don't start thinking that um, I, I want to be like others. That well, let me just live my life anyhow. I will not. I will not trust God. Everything. Then I will not believe the gospel and everything. Then um, God will help me. That will allow me to know a day to my death that I'm going to die. So I will just quickly believe and you know I will just enter and I will be saved. You know that is truth. True, you will be saved. <laughs> but you have lost many years of serving God. <laughs> you have lost those many years of serving God. Okay, so believers are not the same when they die. There are those that will be well decorated. <laughs> there's going to be there, there's going to be differences. The difference is going to be clear. So don't think it's everywhere else is that's all. It's not that, no. So some some believers are not even going to have reward at all. Hallelujah. So um the 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 the, the I I guess are we clear so far? If you have a class, if you are class over, can I see your hands? Okay, that's very fine then. Okay, so um, I think um, the defender has done a good job now in presenting his case for closing uh, two years now. Okay, so before the plaintiff presents his pieces of evidence, don't forget the pieces of evidence are what as all as many if possible all, <laughs> every uh, as many um, portions of the Bible that seem to suggest. A believer can lose his salvation. Okay? And don't forget something. We started by on, by reaching a consensus that the Bible cannot contradict itself. So it's going to, number one, I think we have got to a point where it's very difficult because to to think otherwise, because we you will have to invalidate all the, um, the defendants that have said so far for the past approximately um, three hours. That's last week and this week. And all the points of scripture he has, he has presented, very much, well over 20. Okay? But, of course, the benefit of a doubt, that's why this is a law court, you know, um, yeah, both sides, like we said. And, of course, um, um, so the plaintiff has the opportunity to present as many as he, has, as he can, a piece of evidence, using the same Bible. So before the plaintiff um, presents his case, his piece of evidence, remember, Something very salient that what we will not accept straw man. I guess you remember that. Not about straw man or a straw person. That means you know um, there's a, an argument that's presented. Then you decide to you make you fashion a distorted version of the argument. You now start to attack that distorted version as your means of attacking the argument. And I gave an example. For example, you know one of the examples I gave. I talked about um, uh, Elon Musk. Remember? When he was talking about self-driving cars, okay, that's that what this is. It is closer to active safety, and we should use it often. And you know, someone will just come and say that, "What are you trying? What are you saying? Don't you know that in, um, there was an accident in um, in um, Arizona by a self-driving car when it hit a pedestrian and everything?" Elon Musk did not say that cars, self-driving cars, are 100% safe. What he said that what they are closer to active safety than the one that we drive ourselves. And, and that's actually true. If you compare the statistics, the margin is too wide. Accidents almost every day that we hear. <laughs> All right. So what um, a, a straw man is, what, is, a, is a distorted version of that argument. You know, that's what I was saying. So a straw man, you know, what we have seen so far, though, what we have, you have established out that a believer cannot lose his salvation. 
So a storm now comes out. Eh, so are you, are you saying we can't believe in anyhow? That we are trying to say. You can't believe in anyhow. You should have had that kind of argument before now. That's what they are trying to say. That you can't believe in anyhow. That God does not care about what you are doing. That's, is, that what, is that what the defendant said? That's why you see that we try, I, uh, I did my best to make it as complete as possible. To allow you to know everything that the Bible says. How that what the Bible is very loud on conduct. And very loud on fulfilling your purpose on earth as well. And there's a reward for that. Okay? So that's a straw man. When I say that you are trying to say that um, the, the defendant implies that you can't believe in anyhow. And you know, the illustration I gave last week is like a, a, a wife telling her husband that, um, uh, that there's nothing that will make me to stop loving you. And the husband has started to think about, ah, the cheating. Ah, yes. Yes, now I can cheat since, <laughs> since, she, since you will not stop loving me. Is that not, what, is that not a straw man? That is true, man. You have bought a distorted version of what she said. And that's it. All right. So don't forget our caveat. That's the, the caveat is C-A-V-E-A-T. That's our disclaimer. Um, I think I told you to write that down last week. I don't know if you did. If you didn't, write it down. It's, if a believer can ever truly lose his salvation, then it must be proven so in the light of well-explained and well-corroborated Bible texts. Otherwise, the argument is considered invalid and therefore annulled. When I say annulled, annulled is the synonym for disannulled. It means it's rendered void, nullified. All right, so um, we have, I think we have seen one of the uh, one, one presented by the plaintiff already, um, Jonah, right or right? Jonah 1 verse 3, we have seen that together already. And we see that that's not even strong enough. That's not a strong argument in the first place. But let's start with, uh, so we're starting with the arguments from the four Gospels. From there, we'll move to the epistles. And we'll see a couple from the four Gospels. One of the major ones, Matthew chapter 7. Depart. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7, something everyone knows. So I'm very sure everyone knows about it. So let's see it together. Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23. Are we there? Are we there? Are we there? Can we read verse 21 to 23 together? Are we there? Everybody want to go. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, I can't hear everybody, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you work iniquity. You that practice lawlessness. Okay. So I, I think I think this is a good case, right? Yes. By the plaintiff. So does this um, does this stand in the light of careful explanation? Let's see. And I'm sure that this is one of one of the texts that has scared us most while growing up. That thing is about going to church, oh. You can go to church and you think you are singing for God, you are doing everything, you doing everything. God, many of you are just deceiving yourself. If you don't go on, God will just tell you, depart. So is that what he's actually saying? Okay, now, I, I believe um, we also listened, to, uh, pay attention and listen to the other exhibits of evidence that the defendant presented, which is the Bible and the believer, a practical approach to Bible study. And one of the things I said in that teaching 
is that um, you know the rule when studying an account of the gospel. When I say gospel, now talk about four gospels: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are four gospels. Then the other books are called epistles. Epistles means letters. All right. So um, the rule when studying an account of a gospel, one of the one account of a gospel um, that has a corresponding record in another gospel. When I say that, I mean that something that was recorded by Matthew and was recorded by somewhere, someone else again, maybe recorded by Mark. Do you get me? An event that was recorded by Matthew and by Mark as well. Or maybe recorded by Luke as well. Maybe recorded by John too, you know? Okay? So what the rule when studying an account of the gospel that has a corresponding record in another gospel, you need to compare the records. Do you get that? So you, you, you need to compare the records. So if, if something was recorded, an event was recorded by Matthew, and also recorded by Mark, you have to check the two records. Are, are you with me? You know, for example, now, there, there's something that happened. Maybe there's an accident, and two reporters come. And make, there's a crowd already at the scene. There's a reporter that, that is here from here. There's a reporter that is from here. You know, you know that by the time the two reporters come, they will, give the, um, they will not give exactly the same report. It will not be exactly the same. Why the white? Do you agree with me? I'm sure. Um, Priscilla? Okay. Are you sure? Okay. Because one is viewing from here. You might be seeing something in the front that someone that is viewing from the back might not see. Okay? One might be more detailed than the other. One might be more accurate than the other. Okay? But let's just see. So whenever there's a corresponding account, in different gospels, you have to what, compare the accounts. Okay, so the first thing, Matthew 7 now, let's start. Are we there? Are we ready? Say with me, God's word is spiritual. And I am spiritual too. Alright, so um, where to start with, just like I taught in that teaching, um, you know, it's important to know the, the speaker or the writer, to know the audience or the recipient. So, who is speaking here? Eh? In Matthew 7. Huh? And he's in red letters, so it's clear that it's Jesus, right? Okay. Now, the, the next thing to know is that who were Jesus talking to? Okay. Now, it's important now. I'm not talking about who were Jesus talking about now. Okay? I'm talking about who were Jesus talking to. Who was, who was Jesus talking? Okay? Now, Jesus was basically, if we check through everything, um, you see, you see in chapter five that's where the, the uh, everything starts. Though basically, uh, if you see um, the end, the last chapter in um, chapter twenty-three and chapter four, verse twenty-three, it talks about uh, Jesus went to going through all Galilee preaching the gospel. Chapter verse twenty-five that says uh, multitudes came from from. Look at verse twenty-five. Multitudes four verse twenty-five. Multitudes um, came followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, beyond Jordan. The Nazis and seeing the multitude, he went up to a mountain. They decided to teach, tried to teach, tried to teach until we get to chapter seven. So you see that what the the audience are Jews, right or right? Is that clear? Okay, so we we'll follow up from there. So they are Jews. Now let's see let's see where the the the, the statement begins from. See chapter thirteen. And please pay close attention. Are we there? Are we there? Now this is what enter by the narrow gates. I think KJV uses those straight gates, right? Yeah. Okay, it means narrow gates. Okay, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. That is, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. Yeah, KJV is what narrow is the way. Okay, that leads to life. And there are few who found it, who find it. You can see the instruction here, right? 
Right? Okay, you get to understand what that means. All right, a minute, please. All right, so narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life and there are few that find it. So the, 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 the narrow way is, I mean, it's, there's a way that is narrow and only few people that are going through it. If you, if you follow the account there, you find that the Jews refused to recognize Jesus. Okay, so many, many of them did not. Okay, many people, they were just a number that, that believed in Jesus, but we're going to see, 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 see together. Okay, so he said that what narrow is that gate, there are just few people that are passing through the narrow way. But we're going to see together and get clarity. Now that you say that what, verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, okay, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They come in what? Sheep clothing, right or right? False prophets, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So you see that that means that you cannot distinguish them by appearance. Right or right? Because they appear to be saved, but are not. Okay? They are wolves in sheep clothing. So you cannot distinguish them by appearance. If you see them, you believe they are just like others. Now follow. Look at verse 16. I don't want anyone to miss any point. I'm quite slow here, but please, I might have to rush soon. It says what? You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn birches or uh, figs from thistles? That's impossible. Yes, even so, every good tree bears good fruits, but a bad tree, KJV is what corrupt tree, right? Or something like that. Or a bad tree bears corrupt, a bad fruit. That is, a good tree cannot bear bad fruits, neither can a bad tree, okay, it's corrupt here, right? Neither can a corrupt or a bad tree bear good fruit. Okay, that is impossible. Now it says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is hewn down. Don't forget, he has said that what um, good tree bears good fruit, right? And bad tree, bad fruit, verse 17. Right or right? But I think he said that what a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, now can a corrupt tree bear good fruit. Now it says, every, good, every tree that does not bear good fruit, that means what? It is bearing bad fruit. And that means what? It is a bad tree. Right or right? Okay, so it says every tree that does not bear good food is cut down, okay, you'll be hewn down and thrown or cast into the fire. That's talking about what the end. A minute, please. Okay, so that's talking about what the end of the evil tree is going to be cast into fire. So that's the end of the unsaved, by the right. Okay, it's going to be cast into fire. Now says, um, um, okay, now says, was therefore by their foods you will know them. So are, are, you, are you getting the context already? Don't forget, I started by talking about going through the narrow way. Talk about beware of false prophets. Now goes ahead. Now look at verse 21. That says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. All right. Now please pay attention. I want you to know this. Um, Lord, Lord. That word, Lord, Lord. This is what it is not, it's not said once, it's said twice. Lord, Lord. Okay. I want you to write it down. Okay. In Jewish tradition, Okay, so the word Lord, Lord in Jewish tradition suggests intimacy. Okay, it means these people actually had a physical relationship with Jesus. So not, not just anybody can say Lord, Lord. Some people can say Lord. You see many people in the, um, many people, uh, like maybe is it Bartimaeus and some other people say Lord, have mercy on me and everything. But these people that can say Lord, Lord, it means that what they had a physical relationship with Jesus. They actually identify with Jesus in his early ministry. Right. Are we together? Okay. Now look at what it says, verse 21 again. So please, I don't want anyone to miss any point. Verse 21. It says what? 
not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Look at it. Look at it. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That means what? Not everybody, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, we enter that kingdom, but those that do the will of my Father in heaven. Okay? And that will of my Father in heaven, what, so what is the will of the Father? Okay? From that statement, he just already, already said something that points to it. The will of the Father, verse 13, is that what you should enter by the narrow way. Right or right? Huh? Enter by the narrow gates. Okay, that's why I said that well, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, we enter into the kingdom of heaven, but those among them that was to do the will of my father. Can you see that? Okay, so that, I want to get the allegory, I mean the illustration very well. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, we enter into the kingdom of heaven, but those that do the will of my father. Okay, so if I want for you to know that what he's talking about is that what the only way, that's why I said that what, not all of them can enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because the only way into the kingdom is what? By the narrow gate. Are you with me? The only way by the kingdom to the kingdom is by the narrow or the straight gate. So the will of the Father is that you enter by the narrow gate. So if you don't do that, even if you call me Lord, Lord, even if you have a physical relationship with me, you are divine with me in what I was on earth, still, if you do not enter by the narrow gate, then you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Because the only way to the kingdom of God is the narrow gate. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay, I, I guess you are getting clear um, little by little, right? You are following me, all right? So enter by the narrow gate. So what is the significance of this? See John 6 in a moment. We'll be back here in, in a moment. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. John 6. Are we there? Are we there? John 6, verse 38. John 6, 38. Are we there? Now please pay attention. It says what? For I have not come down. Don't forget, you want to know the will of the Father. Why the right? Okay? And we have seen that it means to enter through the narrow gate. But I want to understand that better. It says, For I have not come down from heaven to do my own will, but the will of who? Him who sent me. It says, Now, can we verse 39 to 40 together? Everybody wants to go. This is the will of the Father. Can you everybody? Who sent me? That all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but I should raise it over the last day. Verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So what is the will of the Father? To what? In verse 40. What is the will of the Father? To what? To believe in who? Huh? Okay. So is that what the will of the Father is to believe in Jesus? Can you see that? So when it says that would enter in through the narrow gates, what is the narrow gate? What faith in Christ Jesus? Can you see that? Can you see that? Faith in Christ Jesus. That's the will of the Father. That you enter in by the narrow gates by faith in Christ Jesus. So want to understand Matthew seven? Just just follow. It's just a step at a time. It's quite a long one, but just follow. Are we together? Now look at verse 21 again. Matthew 7, 21. Now it says what? 
not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord. Don't forget, remember Lord, Lord, right? I said that it, it suggests what? Intimacy. Why the right? That means they have been with Jesus. Not everyone that says to me, you know, when you say Lord, Lord, it means that what? Jesus, you expect that Jesus should know you. Are you following me? Uh-huh. Lord, Lord, shall I enter into the kingdom of heaven? But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. See that again? Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Can you see that? So these people, they actually add works. Why the right? Why the right? Okay. Now, one will understand better. Just follow. That we'll, be going, we'll be moving through the four Gospels. You know, to get clarity. Look, look, look at Luke chapter 9. So you have an idea of, 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 of what is going on. So they said they had cast out devil in his name, prophesied his name, don't wonder in his name. Luke chapter 9, are we there? Luke chapter 9, are we there? Fast with your Bibles, very fast. Are we there? Are we there? Huh? Verse 1. It says, Then he called his twelve disciples together. Please look at your Bibles. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all what? Over all what? That means they were to cast out devils, why the right? Okay, and to cure what? And to cure disease. So that means they were going to heal the sick, why the right? Okay, so he, he sent his word, his twelve to do that. Look at chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Look at, verse, look at that, chapter 9, that same chapter 9, verse 2. He now says, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they were going to cast out devils, they were going to heal the sick. Why the right? Look at, look at chapter, chapter 10. See verse 1. He says that what? And after this things, the Lord also appointed 70 others and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself would go. Okay? Now jump to chapter 2, verse 8. Verse 8. Are we there? See the instruction he gave them. Are we there? It says, Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as I said before you. Look at verse 9. And what? Heal the sick there and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. So did this? Will, I mean, will this? Would these people heal the sick? Okay, the seventy. Now look, move, move it to chapter um, verse, um, verse seventeen. Are we there? Verse seventeen. Are we there? Look at it says. Then the seventy returned to joy with joy, saying, "Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name." So did they cast out demons? Why the right? Why the right? Why the right? Okay, now move to back to John 6 that we saw earlier. When we saw the will of God of the Father. John chapter 6. Now, this is a long read, so please pay attention and don't miss any point, please. Very fast. Are we together? John 6, verse 40. Please, fast with your Bibles, fast with your Bibles. Are we there? Okay, now look at it. It says what? And this is the will of him who sent me. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Now look at verse 47. Let's move on verse 47 now. Are we there? Are we there? Okay, look at it. It says what? Most assuredly, or verily, very I say unto you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Okay? That says, I am the bread of life. Now, Jesus is talking to Jews. Why the right? Okay, don't forget, see verse 41. It says that then the Jews complained about him. So he was talking to Jews. 
verse 52, you see Jews are also quarreling among themselves. Okay, now look at verse um, 47. It says, I am the bread of life. See, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which came down from heaven, that one may eat it and eat of it and not die. Okay, I am the living bread. Look at your Bibles. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So is that an assurance? Okay, now he will live forever. And the bread that I give him, don't forget, from what we have seen so far, yeah, I said earlier in verse um, 47, that he that believes in me has everlasting life. By the right, he now says that I am the bread of life. He now says that he that eats of this bread will live forever. So what does he mean to eat the bread? Huh? Okay, what does it mean to eat Jesus, as it were, figuratively? It means to what? To believe in Jesus. Are you with me? Verse 51, he says what? Um... I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Are we together? Please look into your Bibles and don't miss any points. Okay? Which I will give for the life of the world. Okay? Now then the Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in him. Okay? So what does it mean to eat the flesh and drink his blood? Figuratively, what does it mean? To what? To believe in him. Don't forget, I said that earlier in, in verse 47. Okay? That he that believes in me has everlasting life. Okay? Now it now says, just follow it. It says, whoever eats my flesh, verse 54, and drinks my blood has eternal life. Can you see that? And I will raise him up at the last day. Just like we saw in verse 40, when it says the will of God, that who that believes in me will have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day. Why the right? So you see that what is using that symbolically or figuratively to mean to I mean that I mean as a, a figure of speech eating him eating his flesh and drinking his blood it means to believe in him right or right okay now now say that what um, fifty six he that eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives abides in me and I in him and as the living Father has sent me and I live because of the Father so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Can you see that? Now, this is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live for how long? Forever. Can you see that? Now follow. These things is said in the synagogue as it taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard thing. Who can understand it? Look at when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then? If you should see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before, that's talking about heaven. It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The word that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Look at verse 64. Can you see? Can you read verse 64 together? Everybody want to go? But there are some of you who do not believe. Can you see that? Now pay attention. So it's going to get clearer. Look at verse 65 now. Are you there? That says, and he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless he has been granted to me by my father. Look at verse 66. Can we verse 66 together? Everybody wants to go. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Can you see that? Now, I want you to get this. You know, there's a difference when the Bible uses some terms. There's the time that multitudes followed Jesus. Because they were seeing signs and wonders, so they were just thronging him, multitudes. Please pay attention. They were following Jesus. And out of that multitude, there were some selected few. There were some. There were few that followed him regularly. They are called what disciples. The out of those disciples, they were the ones that he chose, the twelve among them. Are you following me? So that's the level. 
but there's the multitude, there are disciples, and the what we have the twelve. So that's seventy. We they fall in the category of the multitude or the disciples. Disciples, why the right? Why the right? Okay. Now look at it. it says that what um verse, look at verse sixty six says from that time, don't forget you have said in verse sixty four that what there are some of you look to your Bibles. It says that what, there are some of you that what? Huh? There are some of you who do not believe. That's that's it for look at verse sixty. That's that what from that time many of the disciples walked back and went with him no more. So that means there were some that did not believe. By the right. Now just follow it. That says, then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Please, I want you to get this. Don't miss this. But Simon Peter said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the word of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Now pay attention. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Look at and one of you is a devil. Can you see? Nobody has said earlier in verse 54 that what there are some of you that do not what? That do not believe. He says, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And there's one of you that is a devil. Look at verse 6, 71. He, he said, he spoke of Jesus Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Can you see that? You remember Luke, Luke 9 when he sent the twelve? Remember Luke 10, when he sent the 70? Right the right? Okay? So, did Judas Iscariot cast out devils? Yes. Huh? Did he heal the sick? Did he perform signs and wonders? But did he believe in Jesus? Huh? (laughs) Can you see that was just like many others among the 70 as well? Can you see that? He sent them two by two in Luke 9. They They cast out devils. They came back rejoicing that what well, even the demons are subject to us with your name. They healed the sick. But what happened? He said that what well, I know there are some of you that do not believe. And when they got offended, what happened? They left him and walked with him no more. That's why I thought to his twelve that ah, we used to go away. Then Peter said that what well, we believe that you are the son of God. So where else we will go? But is that what well, okay, you believe, oh, but there's one of you that is a devil. Okay? So, okay, now, so you see that what, what Jesus was saying in Matthew 7 was actually to his immediate audience, the people that were listening to him at that point. He was saying something, though, it, of course, it, it has a significance to people that would follow their pattern. But he was talking to the immediate audience. Okay? He was talking to the Jews that were listening to him at that time. Now, let's, let's buttress that better. Look at Luke's account of that same, of that same um, event. Luke chapter 13. Luke 13. Luke chapter 13. Are we there? Luke 13. Are we there? Verse 22. Now please pay attention. So you will know, you will see whether you agree that it is the same um, record of uh, Matthew's account in Matthew 7 or not. Are we there? Verse 22. It says, And he went to the cities and villages teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? Don't forget, so you see that it's a question about salvation, right or right? Right or right? Okay, look at and he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gates. So do you agree that it's the same account of Matthew 7? Huh? Okay, so strive to enter through the narrow gates, for many I say will seek to enter and will not be able. What it means that they will seek to enter is that they will not seek to enter until it's too late. It's when it's too late that they will not start to, they will not want to strive to enter, but what is it? They will not be able. 
Are you with, are you with me? Now look at verse 24 and verse 25. Saying the same thing I say, many of you will say to me, Well, Lord, Lord, look at when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door. Look at, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door. Look at, saying, Lord, Lord. Don't forget, Lord, Lord. It means that they are what, don't forget, I explained that Lord, Lord means that what they had had, they had, they had intimacy with him, they had shared with him, they, had, um, they, they identified with him in his work, earthly ministry, his earthly work. Can you see that? Okay, so what, Lord, Lord, open to us, pay attention. It says, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Then you will begin to see. Look at, look at what is, look at verse 26. Oh, are you there? Look at, then you will begin to see, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets, so you should know us. Do you get that? Did Jesus eat and drink in Adino? No. Eh? <laughs> or did Jesus eat and drink in Lagos? Where? It was in Judea. So you see that Jesus was talking to his immediate audience. Do you get that now? Okay? So you see that what? You, um, you, we ate and drank in your presence, you taught in our streets. Look at verse 27. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. So to be clear, I talk about Jews now. He says, There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham. Don't forget, Abraham is the is the beginning of the promise for the Jews. They look at him as their father. But what he says is that you there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. You see that I talk about Jews. If you get clear again, you see what they look at, they will come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and sit in the kingdom of God. Talk about what Gentiles. Because they, they will choose to believe. So you that you are even the children of the promise, if you refuse to believe, you in the end, what will happen? There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom, you yourself you are cast out. Then you are, there are people from outside that were never particular of the promise from the beginning. From the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south, what will happen? Verse 29, they will sit in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 30. And that says, Indeed, they are last that will be first, and they are first that will be last. Do you understand that verse now? It's talking about what? Who are the first? The Jews. Because they were the ones that had the promise. Why the Gentiles were last? Because they were not partakers in the first place. Are you following me? But what will happen? Because of their own belief, and the Gentiles believe, what will happen? The, the last will become what? First. And the first will become what? Last. Is it clearer now? That first, last, last, first. Okay. So, do you have a better picture of that story now? Yes. Of Luke 13. Okay. And um, um, Matthew 7. So, move back to Matthew 7 while we round off. Matthew 7. Look at verse 22 again. Are we there? Okay. Matthew 7, 22. Now, says what? Many will say to me that the Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Because and I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of iniquity, you that work iniquity. Now you notice that word workers of iniquity. Workers of iniquity. I want you to write it down. The word workers of iniquity. Please write it down. The word workers of iniquity is a term in Hebraism. When I say Hebraism, I mean H E B R A I S M. It means I'm talking about it means Hebrew. Are you following me? It's, so it, what it means that what it was a term that the Jews were familiar with. It is a kind of lingo, a kind of term that the Jews could relate with. Are you following me? That what it means by a term in Hebraism, Hebrew. So it, it is it's, it's not actually a new word that Jesus coined out. It is a, a word in a term in Hebraism. Look at Psalm chapter six. Psalm six, very fast. You have to watch now. You have to watch now. Psalm six, fast, fast, fast. Psalm six, verse eight. Are we there? 
So we are taking a, a short journey through Psalms. Psalm 6, verse 8. Are we there? Are we there? He said, Well, depart from me, all you workers of what? Of iniquity. Can you see that? Huh? Psalm 28, verse 3. Psalm 28, verse 3. Fast, fast, fast. So, okay. Psalm 28, verse 3. Look, I said, What? Do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity. Can you see that? Who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. Can you see that? Is that in your Bible? Okay, so you see that that word workers of iniquity is a term that was used to describe the enemies of God. A term that used to describe wicked men. A term used to describe evil men. You see that? See chapter 64, Psalm 64. Psalm 64. Are we there? Psalm 64, verse 2. Are we there? Are we there? Look at what it says. It would hide me. Okay. Our time is fast spent, please. Let's be fast. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellion of the workers of iniquity. Can you see that? Yes, sir. Okay. Look at chapter 92, Psalm 92. There are a number of them, but I just picked some. Psalm 92, verse 7. Are we there? Say what? When the wicked, you see the word word wicked now. When the wicked spring up like grass, that means they are making it, they are flourishing. And when all the workers of iniquity flourish, look at it, it is that they may be destroyed forever. Look at verse 9. It says, For beyond your enemies, can you see the word your enemies? For beyond your enemies, O Lord, for beyond your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. Can you see that? See chapter 94. Psalm 94, verse 16. Are we there? Psalm 94, verse 16. It says what? Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Can you see that? See one more. Um, Proverbs. Proverbs, chapter 21. Proverbs, chapter 21. Verse 15. Proverbs 21, 15. Are we there? Okay, look how it says. It is a joy for the just. Don't forget, what does just mean? Righteous. You remember that, right? Look at it. is a joy for the just to do justice. But destruction will come to, to the workers of iniquity. You see that what they are, they, are, they, are, they are taking, they are placed as what opposite to righteous, to the righteous, the, what, the workers of iniquity. So move back to Matthew 7. To round off. Matthew chapter 7. Do you get a clearer picture now? Okay. Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 23 again. Look at verse 23. Say what? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, or you that work iniquity. Now, please pay attention to the words of Jesus. In verse 23. What, what would Jesus say to them? And I will declare to them that what? That what? That what? I never knew you. Do you know that? Can you see that? I never knew you. Is from I don't know you anymore. Okay? It's not that I know you. I knew you before, but now I don't know you. He says, what? I never knew you. Can you see that? That means what? You were never saved. So it's not talking about a loss of salvation. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers, you that work iniquities. Okay? 
You were never saved. You were never in the, in, 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 in the faith. Okay? So Jesus, you know, Jesus has said it clearly in, like, that he knows those that are saved. He knows his sheep. We saw that together in John 10, right? Verse 26 to 28. When he said, that, Well, you do not believe me because I know my sheep. That's what I want. And my sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. And I know them. And I give to them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out of my father's land. So did Judas Iscariot and others like him cast out devils? Yes. Huh? Did they heal the sick? Yes. Did they perform signs and wonders in the name of Jesus? Yes. But were they ever saved? Huh? No. There are, what, there are some of you that do not believe. Okay? So, as the plaintiff succeeded in convincing us um, through Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23, that we can lose our salvation. Huh? No. Huh? No. Okay? If, it's, if you are clear so far, let me see your hands. Okay. Okay? So you see that what the, the plaintiff has not been able to convince us through Matthew 7, 21 to 23. As, as heavy as it looked like when we were going to start. Okay? So you see that that claim crumbles beneath the weight of careful explanation. Okay? Can you see that? Hallelujah. 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 Glory to Jesus. You know, in subsequent weeks, we will we'll get to examine as many as the plenty will be towards. You know, there are so many, even in the four Gospels, we'll get to see, um, like, um, Matthew um, uh, 24, that says in the ideas to the end, the same shall be saved. Okay? So, uh, Matthew 25, that talks about the, um, the parable of the ten virgins. Okay? That is, you watch, or else you will not enter. Um, uh, the, uh, the end of Matthew 25 that talks about the sheep and the goats that we uh, will separate the sheep from the goats and say, I was, uh, you, I, was, I was naked you did not clothe me I was hungry you did not give me food I was thirsty you did not give me something so depart from me because of that you know, we'll get to examine many of those portions of the Bible we'll get to see uh, um, Luke as well that says that uh, he that lays down on the plow and looks back you not fit for the kingdom of God so there are many like that just in the four Gospels though then from there we'll be moving to the epistles as well. There are so many. Therefore, letting that take the stand, take it, let it fall. There are so many like that. Um, I keep under my body. Just that um, I, when I preach the other side, myself will be cast away. You know, there are so many of them. So many of them. We'll get to understand them even as we begin to, as we uh, continue with study. So how many of us are blessed? Let me see your hands if you are blessed. How many of us are glad to be in the body of Christ? How many of us are glad to have an eternal hope and eternal assurance in Christ Jesus? Can you just begin to bless God? Give God praise. Just give God praise. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to God. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to Jesus, glory, 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 hallelujah. 